0: So as been said, uh, my name is Harrison Ford. I'm the RUF campus minister at VCU. And as always, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I love coming to this place. And I'm so excited because I actually get to spend this Sunday and next Sunday with you too. And so what I want us to do is actually, uh, both sermons are gonna tie into each other. But let me explain a little bit first. So uh, my son is two years old. And when he was younger, most of the developmental markers for his growth regarded height, you know, height, weight, things like that. But now they've switched. It's not so much about his height and his weight, but it's more about his ability. Can he listen? Can he hear well? And can he speak? What is he learning to say? How is he communicating? And I think that within the church, we have the sad tendency to judge the growth of a church just by raw stats like numbers, how many people are in a seat. But as we look in Scripture, we find that that's not one of the main ways that we judge a church by, is by numbers. There's actually things that are far deeper and far more substantial. And so, over the next two weeks, I actually want us to take a, a look at two markers for the growth of a church, the anatomy of a growing church that may be a little strange to us. First, the ears. And second the mouth so this way we're going to talk about our ears how are we listening what are we listening to I think this is important because my thesis for today is that what we listen to gathers and forms us what we listen to gathers and forms us let me give a quick example I played I mentioned this before I played music my whole life Um, especially in college and in college I went to tons, tons of concerts and you could tell this actually strangely enough by my wardrobe, by my closet because I like music across all different types of genres, so I had a section of my wardrobe that was like if I was going to an indie rock concert, you know, I had like the skinny jeans and Converse. Uh, I'm from Mississippi, so uh, like I was going to I was going to country concerts, so I had like the requisite like Wranglers boots. I actually did. I had a uh, belt buckle once that had Elvis on it, because I'm from Elvis's hometown. And I lost it, y'all. That's like the, I'm so sad that I lost it. That's what I want to pass down to my son. That's his inheritance. So I had that. Actually, um, my sister was a concert violinist, and... So I grew up, loved going to hear the orchestra, still do. And so I had part of my closet, had like a blazer, you know, a nice shirt, a nice tie, some nice slacks for when I go to the orchestra. And what that shows you is that the music, what you listen to isn't just this raw things that kind of come into your ear, but it has a way of forming a community. If you go to a concert, you notice that people start to look similar and act similarly. Their music taste goes far beyond just what they like to listen to, because what we listen to has the ability to form us and to gather us. In the 25th chapter of the Westminster Confession, um, you know you know you're a good Presbyterian when you mention the Confession. Uh, (laughs) But it says that the work of the church is to gather and perfect or form the saints. That's the work of the church. And so what I want to talk about today is how how does what we listen to gather and form us? And to see this, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So if you would, please turn there. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Let me tell you a little bit about it before we read it. Uh, this passage is a part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and many of it And many people can say that it is one of his most spectacular works in describing God's intentions for what he is doing in in redemption. Because Paul says that God, in redeeming the world, is making known the mystery of his will. What's the mystery of his will? To unite all things in heaven and in earth in Christ. The mystery of his will is unity. So in other words, in Jesus's work of redemption and restoration, God is bringing together all the things that the fall tore apart. And then Paul goes on to say that this unity, this work that God is doing, will be most vividly seen and carried into the world through Christ's bride, the church us amen so with this in mind let us read today's text Ephesians 4 11 through 16 and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are, you have done, you are in Christ and your gift of the Holy Spirit, bringing together all of the broken things. Father, we pray that you would show us how you're doing that in the world, but also in our own hearts and in this congregation and in this city of Richmond. We ask that you would help show this to us in your word and that you would apply it to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to submit to you in this text that in this text we see three things. A problem, a solution, and a result. A problem, a solution, and a result. So let's start with the problem. The problem is disunity. And you don't actually read that word in the text, but you see it in between all the words because it's in the context with which Paul writes this letter. You see, we live in a world that is marked by separation and disunity. We see it at the global level in conflicts between nations and people groups. We see it in the United States according to race, social class, political division. But we also feel this division personally in our workplaces, in our families, even in our churches. But this isn't a new phenomenon. This is not something that has just happened, but rather we see it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. This has been true since the Garden of Eden, right? We think at the heart of Satan's attack on God's creation is division and separation. It's the result of sin. We see that after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they're separated from him. There exists this new chasm between humanity and between its creator. But then not only that, they're separated from one another. Notice the the spat that starts to happen after the fall. God comes and, and Adam says, it's her fault. She did this to me. We see that they're separated from God, but as a result, they're also separated from one another. And this effect spills over to all of their children. As we see, as Genesis goes on, things get worse and worse. Murder enters into the picture. And then it gets worse. Division and separation becomes an integral part of the fallen DNA. And because the church is made up of sinners saved by grace it means that this church any church which is supposed to be an outpost for the reconciling work of Jesus will be threatened with disunity this word doesn't come up explicitly in the text but like I said we can read it in between each word let me get some context for this one thing that would bring disunity is false teachers Paul addresses this in Acts 20. So in this part of uh, the book of Acts, he's actually addressing the Ephesian elders, the people to whom he would later write this letter. And he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. False teaching threatens to create disunity in the church. But another threat comes from the tendency that we have to build cults of personality around strong leaders. Even people that are leading faithfully. Even people that don't want these cults of personality built around them. We see this happen at the church at Corinth. Paul is the one that planted the church, and then another leader, Apollos, comes and he waters, he grows the church. But what happens is, the church separates into two factions. One says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos. Now you have to understand, both of these guys were faithful leaders of the church. They did not want this to happen, but it naturally did. Why? Because separation and disunity are in our fallen spiritual DNA. So false teachers, cults of personality, these are two things that can cause division. But there's one that I believe we feel particularly strong in our cultural moment in where we live in the United States. And that is the threat, the, hear, hear me say this right, the, the beauty and the benefit but also the threat of cultural cultural diversity. Because cultural diversity brings up an opportunity for people to try and separate into groups and into factions. We see this at the church. So the church at Ephesus was, Ephesus was outside of Israel. They were in a Roman province, but the church was largely made up of those who were culturally part of the Jewish diaspora. They were mostly Jews living in the midst of Gentiles. And historically in the early church, this diversity Resulted in cultural clashes as Gentiles were converted and became a part of the church as they entered into something that had previously just been Jewish. We see this illustrated throughout the New Testament with um the problem what's called the Judaizers. These were people who taught that in order for someone to be right with God, you had to follow all of the Old Testament rules and regulations. You had to adopt the Mosaic law. You had to adopt the Jewish cultural practices. And what we find is that this is constantly a threat to the the early church, people separating into these different factions along cultural and ethnic lines. Now, culture is great, ethnicity is great, but there is a tendency for it to overreach the unity that God has called us to. And so we see there there are all these threats of disunity that are fundamentally rooted in this. People paying more attention to something other than the word of God. Paying greater attention to the words of a false teacher. Paying greater attention to the words of a good teacher with a strong personality. Paying greater attention to your own culture than to what God has called you into in the church. And Paul shows the effects of this in verse 14. He describes it as spiritual immaturity. He says it's like being a child tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I think we can recognize that this isn't just a problem that existed in the early church. We have the same problem today, don't we? Look, we have the tendency to try and turn up the volume on things like cultural narratives, on the opinions of our family and our friend, on the, on the strong teaching of a good leader. And the problem is when we turn the volume up on that, we consequently turn the volume down on the Word of God in our minds. And because what we listen to has the power to gather and to form us, we become people that are gathered and formed into something other than the image of Christ. There are many examples of this. But I think the one that is the pink elephant in the room is politics. It gets worse every day. So much so that I recently heard a commentator said that there's an emerging red Christianity and blue Christianity. Now, please hear me say this. Politics are important, right? We should keep abreast of what's going on. We should be involved. We should vote. Politics are a way in which we can work for the common good of our community and love our neighbor. Politics are good. But the fact of the matter is that many within the church are starting to pay more attention to the voice of politicians and to pundits and to commentators than they do the word of God itself. And when that happens, you're formed into the image of a politician, a commentator, or a pundit, and not into the image of Christ. And so the question that's for all of us today is this. What are you listening to? What has your ear? What voices speak loudest to you? Is it the opinions of people on your social media feed? Is it is it the expectations of an employer? Is it the, the respectful or disrespectful words of a parent or of a friend? Is it a writer, a speaker, even a pastor? What threatens to speak louder than the word of God to you? And once you identify that, the next question is this Does that voice form you more and more into the image of Christ? Does it encourage you to love God and to love your neighbor or even to love your enemy? Or does it form you into something other than that? The reality is that if any of these voices that are in our heads take primacy over the word of God they will result in a church that is not united but that's split up into factions and groups. So if the threat is disunity what is the solution? And it seems like the the solution should be easy enough, right? It's Rather than listening to these other things, listen more and more to the Word of God. Simple enough. But the question is this, how do we do that? How do we hear God? How do we hear His Word? The reality is, for many of us, when we hear that we need to start paying more attention to the Word of God, we start to think of, okay, you know what, I'm going to Google, I'm going to start a new Bible reading plan. I'm going to Google what's the best way for me to get through this Bible in a year, we started to set our alarm clocks a little bit earlier in the morning so we can wake up and spend more time with God. You know, we have this uh, kind of Instagram image in our mind where, like, the Bible's open and it's marked up with all these different markers. You know, Hill songs playing in the background. Chip and Joanna Gaines are there. <laughs> and actually, you know, this, this is, like, a good tendency, right? Like, we all, we, I'm gonna just say we should all spend more time in the word of god in our individual lives but i want you to think back to the overarching theme of what paul is talking about in ephesians he's saying that god is gathering individuals into a society a new community a kingdom known as the church and these people are going to be the representatives to the watching world of their king jesus So yes, while it is important that we spend more time in the Word in our individual lives, it is equally important that we spend time in the Word together as a community. Because we all have blind spots. We all have weaknesses. We need our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We need leaders, people who can help us be formed into the image of Christ by His Word. So Paul says in this passage, there are two ways that this happens. We listen to the word of God as it's spoken to us by the elders of the church. And we listen to the word of God as it's spoken to us by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's look at that first one, the elders of the church. So Christ is the head of the church. But we see in verse 11 that God calls certain people to be his stewards, to help lead the church on this earth. Now there's some theological debates over this verse. Um... And we don't have time to talk about it right now. Uh, but basically, what our theological tradition says and what I think is true is that when Paul speaks here of the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, he's referring to offices, roles that cease to exist with the closing of the early church, with the apostolic age of the church. Now again, I don't have time to defend that. So it's okay if you don't think that's right. Just talk to one of your elders here (laughs) after I leave. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so there are these roles that are unique to that age of the church. But then it brings us to these two roles, the teachers and the shepherds. And most biblical scholars say that these aren't actually separate offices, but they're one and the same. There should be like a hyphen between them, a teacher-shepherd, a shepherd-teacher. And this is a way of describing the office of the elder. Now, I'm assuming you know your elders here. I've had the privilege of getting to know them. They're wonderful people. They're kind. They would love to get you to know you if they don't if they don't know you. What, let me ask you this question: Why do we need elders? Why should we submit to their leadership? If we're being honest, submitting to leadership is not a thing that many of us like to do willingly. I don't I'm somewhat of an independent person sadly but why do we need elders why should we submit to them look at verse 12 elders equip the saints for the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ let me give you a a little bit of an illustration if the church were an orchestra the elders would be like the conductor do you know what a conductor's role is the conductor's role in an orchestra is to help the people playing the music understand the composer's score and direct them so that all of this div- all of these diverse varied instruments come together to produce one beautiful magnificent sound. I don't know if you've ever gone to uh, to listen to an orchestra before but if you get there early when you hear them all tuning up it sounds like absolute chaos it's the worst sound imaginable but then the conductor steps on stage and he has his little wand or stick whatever it is Uh, it sounds like i'm talking about a harry potter character he has his wand uh, and everyone comes to and then it produces this beautiful sound that hits you right in your gut and it can't help but move you and Paul is saying that is what the role of the elder is in the church I love being up here because this is this is the most diverse PCA church I get to preach in (laughs) I love it it's wonderful and the thing I love it is that all of us in this room come from such different backgrounds with such different experiences. We have such different personalities, different interests, different skills. The work of the elders as the church is to bring that all together. And so it produces one beautiful voice that proclaims the great love of our God to a watching world. You know, I think it's funny that we so quickly characterize our society and our time as being averse to authority. Most people say this about college students. I, I hear this all the time, especially at churches where the congregation's a little bit older. They're like, "Ugh, these college kids, they, just, they hate authority. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. And maybe that's true, probably as much as any of us do. But I actually think we are all desperate for authority. We're all desperate for someone to tell us how to do this life well. Look, I call my, I should call my parents more, but when I call them up now, it's like, how do I do this? How do I have a child? How do I have a home and it not fall apart? We're desperate for authority. If you look uh, on the top trending podcasts right now, the majority of them are self-help. Are there someone trying to, uh, impart expertise upon other people tell you how to do something if you I I've, was fascinated by this um, recently I heard about someone who built their own house they had no prior background in construction built their own house just from learning how to do it off of YouTube videos if, if you go on YouTube now it's everyone telling you how you're able to do things we're all in this society desperate for authority and God is saying that he has given us, he has given some people authority so that the church might function and be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So my question for you is, do, have you invited the elders of the church into your life? I, I realize that kind of sounds like talking about inviting Jesus into your life, but have you gotten to know them? This church is a wonderful size to make that happen. I go to a lot of churches that are a lot larger and it just by sheer volume, it's harder to make that happen. But this is an ideal size in which everyone in this church can be involved in each other's lives and know the elders and the elders speak directly into people's lives. God is saying that this is a good thing to do and it's one of the ways in which we listen to the word of God. But notice this. We listen to it as is spoken by the elders of the church but then also notice what the elders do the elders equip the saints i.e all of us all believers equip the saints for the work of ministry so we listen to the word of god through the elders but we also listen to the word of god equally important as it comes to us from our fellow brothers and sisters in christ look the reality is if you are a christian in here today God calls you to speak His word to your brothers and sisters. You have a part in the ministry of this church. When God created us, He created us with a fundamental desire for connection. First, with connection with God, and second, for connection with one another. God intended that His people bear His image to one another, not just before Him. And as image bearers, we reflect God's holiness, His goodness, His kindness, His love, His justice to one another in a personal, relational context. But again, the fall frustrates that, as we've talked about. The chasm of relationality isn't just between man and God, but it's between man and man. So whereas God created us for connection, sin works towards disconnection. Now, I've seen this increasingly on the college campus. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, people are talking more and more about there being an epidemic of loneliness on the college campus. I see this all the time at VCU it's students who have a hard time just getting out of their room they feel so profoundly lonely even though they're surrounded by 35,000 people but this has actually been something that's deeper than just the college campus it's in our society in general Uh, Vivek Murthy who he's the former surgeon general of the US and as a popular speaker about public health. He said the most prevalent health issue in the country isn't cancer or heart disease or obesity, but it's isolation. So my question to you today is this. Do you have people in your life that can speak the word of God to you? Do you have I'm not this is not being patronizing when I say this, because I'm asking myself this question. Do you have friends? Not just people you can play basketball with, not just people you can watch a movie with, but do you have friends that will speak hard but loving words to you? Do you have friends who, as it says in the passage, will speak truth and love to you? My friends, friendship is not just a kind of cherry on the top. Of the of the cake of life, but it's essential to the very fabric of who we are. It's essential to our sanctification. Do you have those people? I, recently, I read a, an article in the Boston Globe, and um, I'm gonna—I don't usually do this, but I'm actually just going to straight straight up read you part of it because it's so good. But it's this article where um, an editor had heard about this whole epidemic of loneliness and so he charged a reporter to report on it. This is what the reporter says. He said, I told the editor I'd think about it. This is how reporters talk when they're trying to get out of something they don't wanna do. As I walked back to my desk in the newsroom, a distance of maybe 100 yards, I quickly took stock of my life to try and prove to myself that I was not in fact perfect for this story. First of all, there was my buddy, Mark. We went to high school school together, and I still talk to him all the time, and we hang out all the, wait, how often do we actually hang out? Maybe four or five times a year? And then there was my other best friend from high school, Rory, and I could genuinely not remember the last time I'd seen him. Had it been a year already? Entirely possible. There were all those good friends who feel as if they're still in my life because we keep tabs with one another via social media. But as I ran down the list of those I considered to be real, true, lifelong friends, I realized that it had been years since I'd seen many of them, even decades for a few. And by the time I got back to my desk, I realized that I was indeed perfect for this story. Not because I was unusual in any way, but because my story is very very typical and as I looked into what it means I realized that in the long term I was heading down a path that was very very dangerous the thrust of that article goes in to talk about the health effects of not having friendship it's actually terrifying to read but I want to suggest to you it's not just the health effects of our body but it's the health of our spirituality I ask you again do you have friends a marker for how you're growing in the Christian life is if you have people who can speak God's word to you. And a marker for how this church is growing is the same thing. Are you speaking the word of God to one another? Because look, Paul's saying it here it's not just that you hear it from the elders and the teachers and the pastors, you're hearing it from one another. So, church, how are you all doing? I've been here a lot, but I'm not among you in the day-to-day. I don't know. But it's something for you to consider. How is this church growing? And how might you grow in speaking the word of God to each other, into each other's lives? In closing, I want to show you what the result of this is. If you're a church that can increasingly learn to hear the word of God from its leaders, but also from one another, what does it look like? Was the result? And we see that in the passage. Paul shows us in verse 15 and 16. He asks us to imagine the church as a human body. Christ is the head, and united to him are all these diverse limbs and organs. And when they're unified by the love of God, all of these elements are working together as a whole to live and to breathe and to share the love that binds them together. In other words, the result of this is that the diversity that previously threatened to separate them now created a stronger and deeper and more sustainable unity. Brought together by the word of God and formed by the word of God, the church becomes the people of God, the kingdom of God. God and as they do that they are are a herald that is pointing to a coming day in which as it says in Revelation there will be a day in which a great multitude that no one can number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits in the throne and to the Lamb This is the result of growing and hearing and being formed and gathered by the Word of God. Church, if you desire this, then get the Word of God into your life more and more individually and as a community. You know, working with college students... um, many don't hold the Bible in a, in a very high regard uh, and actually I read an article recently it was from uh, GQ which why I read an article from them who knows uh, but the article was 21 books you don't have to read and basically the reviewer was just taking the 21 books you like had to read in high school and saying you don't have to read those here's what you should read um, and he, the reviewer put the Bible on that list. And the viewer said, it's, repeti- it's repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. Strong words. But I, I realized that for many of the students I work with, that's how they, how they feel about the Bible. And maybe for some of you in this room, this is how you feel about the Bible as well. And if that's you, like, this is a great place to bring those doubts. This is a good community to work those doubts out within. But I want you to realize something. The reason why we are so bullish on the Bible isn't just because we think it's a good literary work. Or because it's just a good book of ethics, a good manual for how to live life. Although I think it is. But it's not just that. The reason why we're so bullish on the Bible is because it contains the words of life. It brings life to that which is dead, reunites that which is separated, because in it is revealed the word of God himself, Jesus Christ. After I read that article, I... I I read a lot of articles (laughs) if you can't tell Um, but I read another article this one was by a man named John Perkins you might have heard of him he's a great activist he's uh, Mississippian like myself and he worked uh, for racial reconciliation and still does in Mississippi he's doing some of the most incredible things it makes me so proud one of the few things that makes myself really proud to call myself a Mississippian that's not really harsh sorry I <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with my home um, but he wrote this he said the problem of reconciliation in our country in our churches is much too big to be wrestled to the ground by plans that begin in the minds of men this is a God-sized problem and it's one that only the church through the power of the Holy Spirit can heal it requires the quality of love that only our Savior can provide. The reason we believe that the Bible is words of life is because we recognize that it is in this book that we hear what John Perkins is talking about. That there's nowhere else that provides us. So, if we're a church that wants to be united We need to come continually under the word of God and let it do its work of unity. Because it's through it that we learn that everyone, regardless of race, political affiliation, age, ability, gender, regardless of all of that, every person is able to hear God pronounce over them through virtue of their union with his son, behold, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of our God. Let us pray. Our Father, we long to be a people who are united. Not just for ourselves, but we long to be a people who are united so that we can point to you, the great God who exists three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we recognize that we can't do this ourselves. The the momentum in our life is towards disunity because we're sinners. But we realize that with you there is much mercy and much forgiveness and much healing. And so, Father, we pray that through through your word and by your Holy Spirit, would you heal us and make us a unified people. So that when people look at this church and all the other churches in our city in Richmond, they would note that that is the only place where there is true, real unity and love because it is a place that's brought together by the, your love. Father, would you help us to hear more and more your word of love as you've shown it to us in Christ and as you tell it, us about it in your word. And we ask that you would do this through your spirit. And we pray it in your son's name. Amen.